Grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Beautiful uh, summer day, and we are ready for for VBS. And uh, uh, some have asked me to explain a little bit about that and what we're doing, and so I'm going to take just a couple minutes and do that. But first of all, I want you to know that we have had more than than double um, our largest VBS pre-register. And so we're going to have tomorrow night an auditorium full of children, and that's a wonderful theme. Um, our, our theme for VBS is Psalm 126 and verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. So we're going to be talking about joy story. And so what that means is this. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. The best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And some of the things we're going to be talking about throughout the week is joy in identity, joy in obedience, joy in belonging, joy in salvation, and joy in purpose. So I hope that uh, you will join us Monday through Wednesday, 6 to 7.30. Again, we're going to have an auditorium full of kids. Um, I don't know what we're going to do with them all, but it's a good problem to have. And uh, we're we're really looking forward to it. I want to thank everyone who's, who's already worked so hard. I know we've got lots of volunteers signed up who are going to be working really hard over the next several days, uh, but, but already we've had a lot of people volunteer and do some wonderful things, and it's just been a, a real blessing, and, and this is a great way that, that we reach out to our community every year. Well, uh, we started last week a new series where we're looking at the book of Revelation, and so if you have a Bible, you might open it to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to spend most of our time there this morning, um, but we're going to look at some other things as well. And so last week we learned that the, the, first, few by, the first few chapters of Revelation are really important. That, that first chapter, chapter 1, sets the foundation for everything that is to come. And so you cannot understand the book of Revelation without understanding that first chapter. Okay, You've got to really pay attention to the first few things that are said. It's the key to everything else. Now, chapters 2 and 3, which we won't really be looking at much of uh, in this series, are the letters to the seven churches in Asia. And and they're kind of like abbreviated versions of the other letters that we have in the New Testament. And so they're similar to the letters of of Paul and Peter and John. They're just much smaller. And, And often people will just study them all by themselves. But this morning, we're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5. And so in chapter 1, we were informed that John received a vision. Okay? And beginning in chapter 4, that vision is described. And so we want to start out by hearing the words of chapter 4. And remember that, that John is telling us what he saw. And so you may want to follow along in your Bible, or you may want to just close your eyes and, and, tr- and as you hear these words, try to imagine what John was seeing. Revelation 4, beginning in verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. 
And the first voice which I heard heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four elders, or twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, and the first living creature like a lion the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so the first thing that John sees is heaven. And he tries his best to tell us what that is like. And so one of the words that you need to pay attention to as you continue to read Revelation is the word like. I know that's just a small little word, but uh, you can see here in this chapter, John says the one seated on the throne looks like Jasper. And around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. And in front of the throne is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And he's not saying that any of these things are jasper or are emerald or are crystal, but they are like these things. And so imagine discovering a new planet, and you had to describe it for the people back on earth. And there would be things on that planet that would be unfamiliar to everyone. And the only way to describe them would be to compare them to something that we understood. And you would have to say, it is like this other thing. And that's what John is doing here. Um, He's describing things that we don't understand, but he's saying, you know, it's kind of like this thing. Now, there are lots of interesting tidbits a person could focus on throughout the book of Revelation. And I think one of the mistakes that is commonly made when studying this book is to focus on the details and to miss the big picture. For instance, a person could spend all their time trying to figure out what the the 24 elders or the four living creatures represent and miss that this is a chapter about God. Now, if you're curious, I think the 24 elders refer to the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. 
And the four living creatures, you know, the, the, the ox and the lion and the human and the eagle, they represent all creation. I think most of the explanations are pretty simple. But, but the main point is don't get distracted by this or that. Don't, don't get distracted by these little bitty details that, that seem interesting, and they are, and miss what this book is really about. And, and what we're doing in this series is we're focusing on, on the message of this book. And we're looking at the big picture, not all these other details. Now, as we're reading this, you may come across a detail that you find fascinating, and you can talk to me later about that, but I'm probably not going to address it in the sermon. Well, John receives a vision of God, and God is on his throne. Now, the word throne appears in all but five chapters of Revelation. And so we encounter this word over and over and over again as we're reading this book. And one of the main questions Revelation is addressing is who is on the throne? Who is in charge? Who has power and authority over all that can be seen? And this question is not unique to Revelation. When Isaiah was called to be a prophet, the first vision that he receives is one of God on his throne. Psalm 2 opens with this question, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? And it goes on to say in verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. So where is God sitting? God's sitting on his throne. And this is a constant theme throughout the Bible. And it's emphasized here in the book of Revelation. God is on his throne. He is the ruler of the universe. He is in control. The nations including Rome, they have to answer to him. And so the visions of Isaiah and John both come at times of uncertainty. I think that's kind of interesting when when you think about it, that, that these similar visions show up when there's uncertainty. And we tend to only think about, you know, a small period of time. We're concerned about the here and now, and therefore, you know, it's easy to get worked up about the latest headline and it's not difficult to to make people anxious and afraid our media does it all the time they they spend a vast amount of time talking about things that are of little or no threat to us in Isaiah's time a leader had died and that's what caused the uncertainty in John's time Rome was persecuting Christians The message at all times is that God is on his throne. And so we approach life differently because we know who is in charge. And so no matter what happens in the short term, we know what happens in the long term. And the only throne that matters is the one that God is sitting on. Now what is obvious from this scene that John describes is that God is at the center of all of it. You know, there, there are different things that are pictured in the scene. There are elders, there are creatures. A little bit later in chapter 5, there are angels and all kinds of other things. And, and all of them are focused on God. And they are singing to God and they are worshiping God. And we've never seen a scene like this before in our lives. But this is an important scene for us to understand because it is very relevant to our lives. 
It's about who we are. And it's about who we have been created to be. And one of the things it's telling us is that worship is at the center of everything that we do. We were created to be worshiping beings, and we cannot get away from it no matter how hard we try. We worship whether we want to or we don't want to. David Foster Wallace um, summed all this up several years ago in a famous commencement speech he gave, and he said it better than I could, and so I'll just quote him for just a moment. He says, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. And actually, Wallace is not a believer, and so that's kind of interesting. But he says there's no atheism. There's, there's, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships, he says. The only choice we get is what to worship. And if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we know all this stuff already. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The the picture that John gives us is of everything in heaven worshiping God and that God is at the center of all of it. And what this vision is, is its truth. It's how our lives are to be ordered. And the only way that our lives are going to have meaning, the only way that we are going to find fulfillment, is if our lives are centered around God. And if you're lacking something, if you're unsatisfied, if things are not going well, then start by making sure that God is at the center of all that you do. Begin there. Make God the number one priority in your life. A lot of problems in our lives can be fixed simply by by making sure we're focused on what really matters. And so order your life around God, and then all the other pieces will begin to fall into place. And John's vision here is not about what is to come. He's going to talk about that later in chapters 21 and 22. But it's about our lives right now. And so how are you serving God? How are you worshiping God? How are you loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And our devotion to God can't be just lip service. We can't profess to love God and never show it in our actions or what we do. And if our devotion to God is just lip service, then we will be unsatisfied. We must love him and devote ourselves to him with our entire being. He alone is holy. He alone is worthy. He is the creator of all things. And so throughout this chapter, we're not only told who we are and what we should be doing, but we're told 
why we should be doing it. It's because of who God is. And right before we're given this vision of heaven, Jesus sends a message to the church at Laodicea. And I want us to back up for just a minute. So you can look there in Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The church in Laodicea had shut their doors. The doors were locked. And Jesus was, was standing outside trying to get in. He was standing at the door and he was knocking, hoping that someone would hear him and that someone would let him in. I think this is really important because the image of a door is used a few verses later as John begins to describe what's going on in heaven. In chapter 4 and verse 1, John says, After this I looked and behold, a door. And this door isn't closed, it's standing open. In heaven. And so the, the door to the church in Laodicea, it was closed, it was locked, but the door to heaven, it's open. And the point is that we can live in such a way that we shut ourselves off to God. But God never closes the door on us. God is not going to abandon us, but we can walk away from God. And most of the time, this is not done consciously. Rarely does one decide all of a sudden to just give up on God and turn their back on God. Instead, we become sporadic in our worship attendance. We stop coming to Bible class. We, we pray less. We don't read our Bible as often. And we become distracted and enamored with other things. And we slowly shift our devotion from God to something else, and God is no longer the center of our life. We shut the door. And the entire time, Jesus is trying to get in. God wants the best for us. And He has great things planned if we will remain faithful. Right after Jesus tells us about this closed door in Laodicea, He says in verse 21, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. So God doesn't treat us like peasants. God loves us. He, he died for us, and He invites us to rule with Him. And He's going to give us a crown. And not only that, He says here that He's going to give us a place on His throne. The same throne that he shares with God the Father. I think this is just unbelievable. It's an amazing truth that we've ignored and we don't even talk about. This life right now is about preparing ourselves for the life to come. It's about being transformed into the image of Jesus so that we'll be ready to rule with him for eternity. And this world now is full of ugliness, and some of that ugliness is within us. And this is why we need to open ourselves to God and let Him live within us so that He might help us to become the person that we ought to be. And Christianity is about becoming someone new. 
And we're only able to do this as we make God the center of everything we do and we continue to focus on Him. Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we praise you and we honor you and we give you glory because you alone deserve this. You are the one that created all things. And all things exist and continue to exist only because of you. You give us our breath. You give us our life. You give us everything. And Father, we pray that we would not neglect you. That we would never neglect you in worship or serving you. That we would open our hearts to you and that you would come into our hearts and that you would be the Lord of lords and King of kings of our own lives. Father, we pray that we would order our lives correctly so that we might be transformed into the image of your sons and so that we would be able to receive our crown and to rule with you for all eternity. And we know this is only possible because of what the Lamb did. That he laid down his life for us. He shed his blood so that we might have our sins forgiven and live with you for all time. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you haven't devoted your life to Christ, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you have not put on Christ in baptism, if you have not submitted your life to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, we encourage you, we plead with you to do that now, to do that this morning. If you're here and you need the prayers of this congregation for any reason at all, please come now as we stand and as we sing.